Welcome, everybody. Welcome, listeners, old and new. Hello. 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 <laughs> okay, there are more than just two voices here, and that's because we've decided to do a collaborative podcast today. That's right. So we've got two the the two best music podcasts that there are out there. Hell yeah! <laughs> Train market. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you Why don't you guys introduce yourselves first? So I'm Beth Ann, and I'm Leah. And we are She Will Rock You podcast. Amazing. And I'm Lynx. I'm Shanti. And we are Muses. So if your listeners are new to us and they have never heard us or heard of us, we have been podcasting for going on four years now. And we are episode 100 and something. We, we're saying close to 200, but we still have like quite a few to go before 200, almost 200 episodes. But we like to tell stories about women in music who have made a significant impact on musicians in one way or another, whether they were in a relationship with them or if it was a friendship or it was a mother or a sister. We like to either read their autobiographies and present them or we actually interview the women themselves. Links, do you want to talk about some of the women that we've interviewed before? Sure. Yeah, we've talked to everyone from Pamela DeBar to Joe Wood, Jenny Boyd. We've also talked to incredible women in the business like Denise Donlin, authors of incredible books like Kathy Eandoli. We're all over the place. We try to cover as many genres as possible as well. I'm curious what made you guys start She Will Rock You? So Lee and I used to work together and since we met, we kind of knew there was a podcast in our future, just like how our personalities were and our humor. We were just like, should we do a Disney podcast? No. Should we do a social media marketing one? No. And then we're like, oh shit, we both love rock history. <laughs> nice. And what's cool is, you know, we come from different per like spectrums of rock too. You know, you're more into like 80s glam rock. I come more from the 70s and then I was in like the metal scene for a while growing up and it was just kind of one of those things where like this could be perfect because we can just highlight different artists um, from all different genres and just talk about how crazy their life is and what makes up how they wrote these songs and really talk about the story behind them. That's awesome, yeah. And I don't think we were prepared for how crazy some things can be, like a Rage Against the Machine, and that's a wild story. We've also done some interviews ourselves with, we've interviewed an author, Carmela Carr, who does these amazing playlists on Spotify, and she wrote a book. Yeah, her book just came out this week, last week. Uh, we've interviewed some artists, The Twelfth Human. They're a band that reached out to us. Our claim to fame right now is we interviewed Luke Spiller from the Strats this summer, which was, you know, a dream come true. And we have some other interviews planned for later this fall. Yeah, we That's watched so that one. That was yeah. a lot of fun. Good for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely get what you're talking about, about, um, you know, you, you know the stories and they're crazy and everything, but like the more you research, the more you find out and you're like, whoa, like these, this is insane. Or yeah. I find like sometimes... Like, I think I know a lot about someone and then I find out this like whole other, I feel like every time we do an episode, we're almost like, I don't know. It's almost like the rock God was up here and now you realize they're human, you know, like they're yeah. not gods. It's, exactly. It's and interesting. 
I've enjoyed just having our own little like foot in that little circle of rock and roll history too. Not only talking about it, exploring it, being somewhat of a journalist with it all, but then feeling like you've actually contributed something. And that's, I think for us, telling a side of the story that people haven't normally heard. So like, for example, Beth, and on your shirt, you've got Fleetwood Mac, right? You're wearing the Rumors album cover. Which you have the best like photo (laughs) op of I just congratulate you. It's literally the best. Thank Thank you. you. It came together nicely. We (laughs) recreated the rumors photo shoot and Lynx is an awesome Stevie Nicks. Thank you. (laughs) The balls on me when I was completely something else. But we got the opportunity to interview Mick's wife of 30 years, right? Mick Fleetwood's wife of 30 years. And she was incredible. With the Beatles and had a story about John Lennon that she, you know, hadn't told many people. And so to be able to hear that and get that recorded and say, well, people can listen to that from us has been a real delight and highlight of doing this for so long. I don't know if you guys run into this, but people all the time thank us for just not being boring old men talking about rock. They're always like, I thought I had to listen to these guys who think they know it all. And like they're like, there's there's women out there talking about rock history. This is so refreshing. I don't know. I feel like we haven't gotten that as much as we probably should, right, Lynx? I feel like most no, yeah, I agree, but I also have heard from so many people like it's so great to just finally hear women's stories and women talking mm-hmm. about them. So yeah, no, I get I get what you're saying. And that's also what makes, you know, us so special too, because it's nice to see that, you know women are finally getting a voice in this kind of industry but yeah it's just great that we're all doing this now and there's so many other outlets now for women like us to listen to and I think that's what's important you know even though we talk about a genre of artists one of my and also Leah's biggest initiatives is how how and when we choose the artists because I don't want to talk about white dudes in a band that story has been told. You can go watch This Is Final Tap. You watch it once, you know, you know, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like really switching between, all right, I want to talk about a woman. Okay. I want to talk about Motown. I want to talk about what black artists have done for rock because they don't, uh, in America at least, they're not getting the due credits that they deserve. So just really highlighting the diversity that should be highlighted and really talking about it. Yeah. People are finally realizing there's just so many other stories out there that haven't been told yet or, you know, are told. Or haven't been told loud enough. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way of saying it. They're like a little paragraph in a book instead of a whole book themselves. And yeah, it's nice that things are finally starting to change. Totally. I agree with that. Yeah. So you guys, you're in West Virginia? We're in Virginia. Sorry, the better Virginia. The better Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, West Virginia. Sorry, I'm nodding like I know the difference. <laughs> yeah. Just yep, give it give it a nod. It's just shameful. <laughs> are you guys as uh depressed as we are about lack of concerts this summer and all of that? So I finally booked my first concert ticket of the year, and it's for August 2021. <laughs> oh my and goodness. It's go see Rage Against the Machine with Friend the Jewels. Uh, that'll be like an amazing show i cannot wait but you know they had to postpone their tour because of covid like everyone else Mm -hmm. and after the rage episode i was like dude i gotta see these guys live like now (laughs) like and then of course august 2021 
but I'm actually going to Pennsylvania a week from yesterday to see a drive-in show. So that'll be an interesting experience. Ah, yeah, you'll have to tell us about it. I'm so curious if it's you can if you can feel the same kind of spirit in that setting. But maybe maybe it'll be a good thing. Maybe everyone will just be so happy to finally be out in a public space listening to live music again. At least it's some kind of outlet until we can all get together in a proper venue again. It'll definitely be different. So I'll, I'll be sure to talk about it whenever we record next after the show. Yes, please. Who are you doing next on your, who are you covering? Is it a secret? Uh, well, we've, the one that'll come out, I guess, right before this debuts that hasn't come out yet is Little Richard. Fine. Oh, so. I bet you he has some stories. He does. His life's actually really kind of sad. Um, oh, really? Yeah. They they are often enough, right? Yeah, he did not have a great childhood or no. a great early adulthood. So hmm. after that, we we've tossed around ideas. I think I'm gonna break the mold a little bit and do Gibson versus Fender. Oh. Great idea! Do you guys play anything? I play piano, some guitar, mandolin, sing things like that. I can very badly play the guitar and a ukulele. But she's getting good. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's doing it that's what matters that's wicked <laughs> i got a piano nice probably a month ago i moved into this farmhouse a couple of hours outside of toronto and i just mentioned that hmm it would be so nice to play the piano again and then my friend said look i've got a piano for you because somebody's apartment building is being torn down and he needs a place to store it so he'll get it here nice. for you is it like an it. upright like mm-hmm. one of those i love those yeah it's like a real piano so it's been really nice to get back into that again that's really cool what about you links i play the guitar on and off usually like when i start to get really good at it again something in my life sidetracks me and then I don't play it for like a year and then I go back I have to like kind of re-remember everything and then I'll get good again and then I just I can't keep it up I don't know why but I love playing it like whenever I feel like it I'm just like a campfire player I can do that that's about the extent of my abilities that's so awesome though yeah (laughs) yeah just play some tunes with some friends and have a sing-along and everything yeah Well, I think we decided that the format of this crossover episode is going to be everybody presents five facts on an artist or musician or, in my case, muse. Yeah? Love it. That counts. I thought that was a great idea. That's in the box. Okay. Who wants to go first? Okay, I I can go first. I don't have a coin to toss. I'm, I'm a, I always volunteer. Alphabetical order. There you go. I'm always like, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I'll, I'll just go first. Sounds good. Yeah. Start yeah, us off. Yeah. All right. So this person that I'm going to present has been requested a few different times. And it's somebody that I've always said, yes, I would like to do them eventually. So I'm going to present just very briefly a few facts about May Pang. And then hopefully after this, after doing this little bit of research, and I have added her as a friend on Facebook, (laughs) the first step in any great interview, hopefully we can come to a point where she might be open to actually chatting with us. Nice. Just so everybody knows, this doesn't count as one of my facts. 
<laughs> but just so everybody knows who she is, May Pang was in a relationship with John Lennon for 18 months. And I wanted to now and in a future episode, like clear up some things about her because, you know, if people had something to say about Yoko, then they're going to have something to say about Mei Peng, who was with John while he was on a break from Yoko. <laughs> right? So he calls that time with her the lost weekend, but it actually wasn't a weekend at all. It was over a year's time. Poor Met, like, just call her a lost weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. (laughs) Right. I mean, he did eventually, not eventually, but he did say that that was one of the happiest periods in his life. He said, I may have been the happiest I've ever been. I loved this woman. I made some beautiful music and I got so fucked up with booze and shit and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the lost weekend part comes in, I guess. Okay. Uh, yeah. That clears it up a yeah. I think it'd be fun to really today just do a few things that you might not have known about her and you're like, ah, that's pretty cool. And then later just go ahead and do a deep dive on it. So I got some of this information from Mei Pang's book of photographs, which was which is called Instamatic Karma. May does have a book called Loving John, but I don't know if I'm quite ready to pay the $700 that like <laughs> eBay is asking for it. Oh, that's bad. $700? It's something outrageous. But how badly do you want to know the truth? <laughs> I want to know the truth. But that's why I think it'd probably just be easiest to interview her or be like, can you send me a, do you have any copies lying around? Um, But it must be out of print, right? That's what happens. It's out of print. It's rare. And so people know that for the real music buffs out there. That's what Kindle books are for. They just need to scan that thing in and let you read on Kindle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have a few books like that. Actually, different muses as well who have written books where I'm like dying to read them. And yeah, anytime I look them up, they're just some insane price. And I'm like, oh, that hurts. Like, it's, it's never going to happen. Maybe they'll reissue it. But this book that she did actually did get it on the Kindle because it was just you know faster. And it's it had quite enough information, definitely for our purposes today, because she had a lot of photographs of John, which he encouraged her to take. He really encouraged her to take photos during their time together. And she had little blurbs that went went for all of those things. Cool. So one thing to know about Mei Peng, she was born in Manhattan and she is the daughter of Chinese immigrants and she grew up in New York's Spanish Harlem. Nice. Just like Ronnie Spector cool. that, that we talked about not too long yeah. ago, growing up in, in Spanish Harlem. So May's association with John and Yoko was at first a working one. She was the personal assistant and production coordinator. So actually, she knew John and Yoko from 1970 until 1980. Hmm, So there was a kind of relationship and working relationship for 10 years. And then the romantic relationship for just over a year or a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. A typical day for her would consist of brewing coffee, opening mail, calling Jackie Kennedy Onassis or Andy Warhol. Okay. Casual. Why not? Casual. Talking to Jackie O, having my coffee. Um, yeah. <laughs> Calling Andy Warhol and coordinating recording sessions. Nice. Now you might be wondering, 
how did she come to be in a relationship with John? Did John seduce her and she just couldn't say no? Absolutely not. That's not what happened. Yoko confirmed this herself. When her and John knew that they were going to be on a break, she knew that John was going to engage in a relationship with somebody. And Yoko felt more comfortable if she knew and trusted the person that John was going to be in a relationship with. So Yoko Ono approached May and said, what do you think about John? Do you think he's cute? Yeah. And <laughs> May was like, not really. And, like, <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing here. But Yoko Ono was like, doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what's your new job? <laughs> So at first, May Pang was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But I guess like if you really want me to. And then I guess one day in an elevator, John made the moves on her and she went, okay, let's do it. <laughs> this was during the recording of Mind Games, funny enough. And yeah, Yoko just wanted somebody to treat John well. Have you ever seen that show Drunk History? Yes. I feel like this would be a great episode this with her and Yoko. Like, Yoko just trying to convince her. Come on, just. Taking a straight from the bottle? Just no, sleep no. with oh, my okay. husband Sorry. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> What's everybody drinking, by the way? Well, we're drinking rose because Ooh. rose pairs well with a podcast. Nice. Sorry, I did not mean to interrupt. I'm drinking an Ace Hill lemon vodka soda. It's Ooh, delicious. That sounds good. And what were you drinking, Chanti? I'm drinking a Caesar, better known in the U.S. as a Bloody Mary. Okay, I was I was about to say because it looks like a Bloody Mary, but I've never heard it called that. A Caesar is made with clamato juice instead okay. of tomato juice. Instead of tomato, so as you can see, it's much thinner. It's not yeah. thick. And I have three spicy beans from the farmer's market that I went to this weekend. Oh, nice. That's super fun. A little old lady pickled some beans. Dang. Meanwhile, we're drinking $3 Aldi wine. <laughs> we have class. <laughs> you know, I actually only found out that uh, about the Caesar Bloody Mary difference in name from the states to here like a couple days ago so it's very strange really? that you're drinking yeah i mean i'm hearing it for the first time yeah. now yeah i mean it makes sense and i guess like you can still order a bloody mary here it's just if you're like a vegetarian you can't have a caesar because it's yeah. clam juice yeah. i feel like that would taste better though if it's clam juice i think it's less thick yeah so it's more like easy to drink that makes sense yeah just going back to may peng yeah. i thought it was interesting about John encouraging her to take photographs, especially of them together and everything, because I was thinking how musicians nowadays seem very guarded when it comes to allowing photographs in personal space. Yeah. You know, they usually have like a trusted photographer, though I guess if you're sleeping with someone, you want to be trustful of them. So, yeah. And her photos were beautiful, and there's some kind of photos of them together, you know, the original selfie or the... Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful and they're adorable and she's gorgeous. Oh my goodness. They spent six months in LA and they went back and forth to New York. They got an apartment together in New York and they had a place for when Julian came to visit. They, they put their bed in the living room. It had a TV, sound system, telephone. John called it Lennon Central. 
And this is where he dreamed his hit song, Number Nine Dream. Oh. I see in my notes that I've accidentally written dollar sign. Nine. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> say that that's not right. <laughs> you can hear May's voice whispering John's name throughout that song. Oh. She even got on a record. She did. And then another song called Surprise, Surprise, Sweet Bird of Paradox was written about her. Oh. So this is kind of nice because they had a little place for Julian to come and visit, which he did often. And Julian appears in quite a few of the photos, the photographs that May took. And this is what Julian says. Dad and I got on a great deal better than, recalls Julian. We had a lot of fun, laughed a lot, and had a great time in general when he was with May Pang. My memories of that time with Dad and May are very clear. They are the happiest time I can remember with him. Wow. So she was a good influence. When you mentioned Julian, yeah, I was wondering, like, if that was a confusing time for him, like a different woman suddenly being there and then back with Yoko. But it right. sounds like it was a happy, positive thing that's nice and my last fact is just a a bunch of tiny little factets (laughs) (laughs) millifacts millifacts (laughs) they got two kittens together named major and minor john loved may's mom's chinese cooking and they saw a ufo together (laughs) that story so it has to be something like they were doing LSD. And- yeah, what, that, that's where it should start. Which drug? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. They were in New York. They crawled out the window onto the roof. They saw Just, a UFO. Dang. I wonder if my neck of the woods, the hometown, this is kind of off, it doesn't have to be, but my hometown where I grew up in New York is known as the UFO Central of the oh. East Coast. Where is that? It's called Pine Bush, New York. And they have an alien festival and parade every year wow the diner is called cup and saucer but it's a play on words like an alien saucer i get it (laughs) and then my husband's like mom's side of the family's from roswell so it's kind of weird it's a little weird (laughs) spooky yeah that's so interesting i had no idea about that Hmm. yeah there you go that's may pen that's really cool I wonder who kept the cats. That's true. Maybe one. Probably not John. (laughs) True. Yeah. Well, that would be nice to keep the cats if she wanted them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. I have decided to cover someone who's new to me, and I only discovered them from a TV show. And it was one of those things where I'm listening to the theme song. I'm like, dude, this, this slaps. So I went to go check out the artist and her name is norma tanega have you ever got ever heard of her at all no yeah she only had like two albums okay in the 60s oh and that's it but she has this really cool story and i thought she was a perfect fit because i would have loved to cover her on episode but there's just not enough content yeah like there's just not enough out there about her but she's perfect for like a mini yeah, mini sewed, if you will. Okay, so she came to fame. I'm going to start kind of backwards here for her song, You're Dead, which was featured in the movie, What We Do in the Shadows, 
later on the TV show, oh, what we do in the shadows. Oh, okay. I know the song. Yeah. Yeah. I just started watching the TV show. It's me and my husband just binge that thing in like a week and a half. I haven't seen it's the TV so show, but the movie is so hilarious. Oh, the movie's great. And I love like Takei Watiti and Jermaine Clements. They're perfect. I yes. loved the movie too. I put yeah. it on for my mom when she was visiting once. And I think we were like maybe five minutes into the movie and she looked at me and she was like, is this real? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it is a documentary about vampires. I, like, I don't know how you want me to. <laughs> but the TV show is on it. Because, you know, like when sometimes people do TV adaptations and like really popular movies and you're like, eh, this actually holds its own. So I, cool. I do recommend it. It's very good. That's right. the second time I heard that today. So I'm, that means yeah. it's a sign. It's a sign. But yeah, so. <laughs> I know. And when I was reading like Sweet Bird of Paradox, I'm like, fuck, did I not spell check that? It would make more sense if it was paradise, wasn't it? Sweet Bird of Paradise? Um, Whoops. Don't, and if anybody writes a review about those girls don't even know what they're talking about. She said Sweet Bird of Paradox. It can't be worse than the one review we got. So (laughs) it can't be any worse than that. Okay, look, everybody, after you listen to this, go listen to a few more She Will Rock You episodes <laughs> and write them a review. It helps and it makes and it it makes that podcaster feel good. Yeah. And write a, a five-star review. A lot of times you get the compliments in your DMs, right? Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. And that makes you feel good. But weirdly enough, when people want to say something negative, they'll go to the iTunes review. Yeah. So to kind of counteract that, and this goes for all of us, go ahead and leave that. Yes. Five we'll star. Our, our negative one was after we finished recording. Cause it's- yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is great. Amazing. All right. <laughs> Let me guess something about your editing skills, vocal fry. No, no it was how I covered an artist, an artist oh. I did not like, and for very good reasons too. And uh, it, it's a long story. Uh, he probably will never find us again because he hated us, but it was when we covered Bing Crosby. The guy wrote us a one-star review, wrote us, I'm not even kidding. You had to scroll like three times to get through this review about how he's like, he's a Bing Crosby, like a president of an unofficial fan club. <laughs> and he didn't like how we covered it because I mean, he was abusive to his children and we called him out on it. And he was like, he was still a good man and a good performer. And we're like, we never said he wasn't <laughs> calm down. Oh yeah. So now we have 19 positive reviews and one negative review. <laughs> and then that bro sent us two emails to go with it. <laughs> like he, he must've ran out of characters cause he had to continue to stay his case. My goodness. Wow. Yeah. Passion. Well, you yeah. know, like with someone right. like that, you're like, you'll never win. Like no matter what you said about him, it wouldn't have been right. good enough for someone exactly. like that. So. We didn't even bother replying. I was like, this is not worth my energy. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Probably about people. Interesting. <laughs> I know. I know. And it was a one-off too. We broke the mold on it. And now it's like, well, do I never break the mold again? Is this what's going to happen? Yeah, keep breaking it for sure. <laughs> All right. So fact number two, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but she, well, I'll give a brief synopsis. She was born in, I want to say California, and I'm very sorry. Usually I write these notes down. I think it's throwing me off. I didn't do my normal format, but anyway. But she was very gifted her entire life. This girl was like making artwork. She was a poet. 
she did some music on the side, like kind of like a Joni Mitchell. Like, yes, she can play music, but she also has so much more to offer than that. Mm-hmm. And like in it was either high school or college, she had like art that was already in museums. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She got her bachelor's degree and then she received her MFA in 1962. She worked after her getting her master's at a mental hospital playing music for the patients. But she was discovered by Herb Bernstein at a camp she worked at during the summers in upstate New York. And Herb has worked with Tina Turner, The Four Seasons, and Dusty Springfield, which we're going to pin her in a little bit. She's fact number four. Her first album was called Walking My Cat Named Dog. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Which was produced by Herb and Bob Crew of The Four Seasons. Amazing. That's fact number two about her. Number three, going to talk about Walking My Cat Named Dog, the whole inspiration for that title track was based on her real life. She had an apartment in New York City in Greenwich Village. They did not allow dogs. So she got a cat, named it Dog, walked it down the streets in New York City. That is crazy. I love that title. That's like very clever. Very clever. Yes. And perfect for the 60s because her style is like very like, her album came out in 1966. So Flower Power is still going on and it just is like perfect. Oh yeah. Is she walking that cat on a leash? Okay. On a leash? (laughs) It's like me. Yeah. Yeah. Like me. (laughs) Okay. And now fact number four, she came out with two albums, like I mentioned before, and then she went writing for different multiple artists afterwards. The most prominent pairing was she was writing for Dusty Springfield and the two would later start dating. They lived together in the UK for five years. Yeah. Really cool. You know, together for five years, Dusty Springfield, look Uh, up her bio. She's an interesting person. Oh yeah. You know about her? Like yeah, she's she's got a story. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I think she should be a good one to cover. And then fact number five is, which you kind of already covered. She was a painter, a poet, but later in life, after I think it was like after her second album, like 1971 or something like that, she kind of like stopped, and she said, you know what, I'm gonna go teach English as a second language, and become an experimental percussionist. So she pretty much like stopped playing guitar, which she was a really cool guitarist too. There's some videos of her and she just like, I'm just going to like play the drums and do bells and gongs and things like that. And on YouTube, when I was researching her, there is, there's not too much, but there's this mini documentary that I guess played at one of the museums. It was doing a expose on her and it's her later in life. Like it was like around early 2010s and she's, literally just in a room with these giant like bongo drums and these giant bells behind her and she's just playing walking my cat named dog on percussion and it's <laughs> it was so cool like wow. and I guess that documentary was supposed to be like a full-fledged one and they never did it and I kind of mm. want them too because yeah there's not much on her but I want to know more about her but you can find that on YouTube yes I'm going to look that up. You just have to type in um, her name and it comes right up. It's like one of the third or fourth videos. Cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Is she still alive? She actually just passed last year. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a little sad, but yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those artists, like, you know, she's got a lot of good stories, Mm -hmm. but no one wrote them down. And it's kind of sad. Like you hope someone did, you know, like a relative or like, if that like documentary dude has some more, like, you just want to know more about her. Yeah. Well, maybe something will come out like a book or something of hers. I think I'm up next. So I'm going to talk a little bit about PJ Harvey. She is a British musician. PJ stands for Polly Jean. Uh, She's mostly known for singing and playing guitar, but she's one of those super talented musician artist people who seem to just, whatever instrument they touch, they can play. I've seen her live and she plays like the guitar, the saxophone, the harp, the cello, the violin. She can just... She does everything, harmonica, whatever. Super highly, highly talented. I've always wondered about harp players. It is like an interesting, it just looks so fascinating. I used to watch a lot of Marx Brothers and Mm. Harpo was always my favorite. And there's always like a part in the films where he would just play a song and I'd be like staring at their hands or his hands just like, it's mesmerizing. And so is the sound really. Mm -hmm. It is like a mesmerizing sound. Yeah. So Polly has released nine albums, and she's also an actress and a sculptor. She's had her work in museums and everything. I really suggest, if you haven't checked her out, to start with like her early, her first like five albums are just phenomenal. And she's still great, of course, but just start chronologically. In 1995, she collaborated with another artist that I love so much Australian musician Nick Cave and his band The Bad Seeds. Are you guys fans? Well, we just watched the video you told us we to did. watch. Yeah? Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> so he was working on his ninth album called Murder Ballads, where every song like tells the story of a murder. I can get he, down with that. Yeah. There's another one on the album that he did with Kylie Minogue called Where the Wild Roses Grow, and they did a music video, and it's just so beautiful. So I recommend checking that one out as well. But with PJ, they covered this old traditional ballad called Henry Lee, and they had never met before, and PJ recorded it in England. He recorded it in Australia, and they only came together to shoot the music video. Excuse me, I thought they were lovers. What? Right? I'm going to talk about it in Nick's own words. He said, effing hell, that's a one take video. Nothing is rehearsed except all we do is sit on this love seat. We didn't know each other well, and this thing happens while we're making the video. There's a certain awkwardness, and afterwards, it's like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, they hadn't met before. They didn't know each other. They recorded it, I think, like just the once. And it came out in this, it's like the most intensely like sexual without touching really. Uh, yeah. I, right before we, we got on the call and I said, oh, they had sex after they. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah. Or he nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that video, it, like even if they knew each other for ages, it's just such a beautiful, romantic Thing. And then to know, yeah, that they 
that was them meeting for the first time. Crazy, right? Uh, I can't even imagine like the the sparks and even being, you know, one of the directors or something. One of the crew members on set must have been like, "Whew, I can feel the tension." My goodness. So they ended up getting together. They were only together for about a year. Nick was getting over a divorce at the time. He also had a heroin addiction. And he's opened up and said that one day PJ called him and broke up with him over the phone. And he was really sad about it. And he's talked about how, of course, drugs were part of the issue. But they were also both super creative and, you know, self-absorbed in their own music at the time. And so it just it didn't work out. He actually said that they were, we were like two lost matching suitcases on a carousel going nowhere. Right. It was quite a blow for Nick. He really took that split and ran with it though. He ended up recording an album after that called the boatman's call and the guardian called it one of the most nakedly romantic desolate records ever made holy shit yeah that's a title (laughs) right and this is what he said about that the boatman's call cured me of polly harvey it also changed the way i made music the record was an artistic rupture in itself to which i owe a great debt the breakup filled me with a lunatic energy that gave me the courage to write songs about commonplace human experiences like broken hearts, openly, boldly, and with meaning. A kind of writing that I had until that date stayed steered clear of, feeling a need instead to conceal my personal experiences in character-driven stories. It was a growth spurt that pushed me in a direction and style of songwriting that has remained with me ever since. Wow. Yeah, so his experiences with her really shaped him and the way that he made music and there's a couple songs on that album into my arms west country girl and black hair that are specifically about her and really beautiful songs the whole album though is like very beautiful highly recommend checking it out pj harvey has stated many times that her work isn't really that biographical so she has never come forward and said anything as specifically about him or not. But Nick's and the Bad Seed's most famous song, I guess, is Red Right Hand. And that is the theme song for the TV show Peaky Blinders. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And on the show, they get a lot of different artists to cover the song. And last year, PJ actually covered that song for Peaky Blinders. So... I assume they're still on good terms and everything. So, yeah. That's really cool. And just another interesting side note, the song that he wrote about PJ called Into My Arms, Nick Cave actually sang that at Michael Hutchins' funeral when he passed away from In Excess. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. So, yeah. Those were five facts in there, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Just didn't list them, but they're there. (laughs) Well, it's probably more than that because yeah. uh, mine is more than that because I, I can't follow rules. Uh, none of us could, so <laughs> it's all good. Bethann followed rules. None of us listen. <laughs> I'm doing three facts and three conspiracies because I'm doing Buddy Holly, Ooh. which everyone knows he died in a plane crash, but no one knows the 
very insane stuff that surrounds this plane crash. This is from an older episode we did around Halloween because we like to do spooky episodes and scare ourselves shitless. Nice. So I'm fully prepared to be scared shitless again. <laughs> this is the day we summoned a ghost that wiped out oh, yeah. part of our audio recording. Oh, my goodness. We recorded right. Led Zeppelin and this one back to back and our audio did not cooperate. <sighs> Some dark energy came in the room. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> Crowley thing. Yeah. Is that the right, my friend, yeah. the right person? You got it. Uh, so Buddy Holly, he played the guitar wrong. That's fact number one. He only played with downstrokes. He never really learned how to do upstrokes. So he kind of played it like twice the tempo of a normal human, but they were all downstrokes. When people try to imitate his playing, they can't do it right, in quotations, yeah. because it's wrong. Huh. Most people don't learn to play like that. Oh, that's so interesting. He just couldn't like figure out strumming or something. He was just like, down, 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 down. I don't think he ever took like formal lessons. So he just was like, this is how you play a guitar and just started rolling with it. And then it was too Did late. want to know? He didn't care to know. Yeah. Obviously, it worked out for him. So he was from Lubbock, Texas. He would bounce back and forth between New York and Lubbock for most of his life. And while he was in Lubbock, one of the later times in his life, he actually helped Waylon Jennings produce his first two singles. Wow, nice. Yeah, That's he was a good just collaboration. A little DJ at some random radio station in Lubbock, and Buddy took him under his wing and was like, I'm going to help you. Yeah, Loretta Lynn ran into him. And they were pen pals for years. She said he was just an acne-faced young kid. Oh, he's <laughs> such a nerd. Mm -hmm. She was like, what was that young man's name? Waylon Jennings. Aww. That's adorable. Shortly after he helped Waylon produce those two singles, they went, ended up going on a tour around South Texas and kind of the Midwest. It's a very badly planned tour because it's the middle of the winter. They were making them get around on buses with no heat. Like one of the, the, the gear guys got frostbite on his toes because there was, it was just that cold and that gross. While they're on that tour, they decided to just cut corners and take a plane, which obviously all ended very, very badly. But another Waylon Jennings tie is he and um, Virgie Valens actually flipped a coin to see who would be on that seat on the plane and Waylon Jennings lost. Oh my God. That is crazy. Wow. That must have really affected his life, like knowing he was that close. To I can't imagine how he felt knowing that everyone died like on that plane. Oh, my God. He was so close. Damn. I had no idea. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, it gets weirder. <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after that plane takes off on February 3rd, 1959, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, J.P. Richardson, also known as the Big Bopper, and Roger Peterson, who was the pilot, they were killed instantly. Obviously, everyone was like, what happened? And the simplest solution is usually the solution in that the pilot took off when there was zero visibility and it was a snowstorm, like he couldn't see. But that doesn't stop people from having conspiracies. So here we go. Conspiracy number one is that Buddy shot the pilot. <laughs> Is there a reason people assume, like, was he a gun person or something? No, not at all. But apparently he was really in debt, and they thought that maybe he did it under the assumption that maybe he wasn't going to die if the plane crashed and he would get money. I don't know. It makes no okay. sense. Okay. Just, did yeah, trying to see pilot, where they came from. Here. Did the pilot have a gunshot wound? 
No. <laughs> Mystery. Like, like a troll. <laughs> <laughs> they were also all ejected, so I'm not sure what was left to examine, but interesting. So theory number two is the mob put a bomb in the plane to punish Buddy for refusing to pay them a percentage of his royalties. Okay. okay. I'm going to say, like, for punishing him from for playing the guitar wrong. <laughs> straight down and not up and down <laughs> i don't that one doesn't have a lot of of founding either he was in debt but not to the mob just to his record label oh. but then you get so those two can be bypassed like they're obviously fake but then you get into the curse of buddy holly Ooh. so they're of the three people who are on that plane buddy holly richie valens and the big bopper all three had some sort of premonition that they would die. Oh, that's spooky. So starting with the Big Bopper, earlier that year, he served as a DJ for a discathon, which is kind of like an old-fashioned telethon where they raised money. Um, but the goal for this was to stay awake for as long as physically possible. And he stayed awake for five days straight. <laughs> nope, thank you. It's not a good idea anyway. Um, and just in the middle of day five, he just straight up looks at the other DJ who's with him and just says, do you think I'm going to die? And the other DJ was like, you're, you're, what are you talking about? You're fine. We're all going to die, man. Yeah. yeah. They, just, they played it off as a joke, but after a couple more hours, he started to hallucinate some more and say the other side really wasn't that bad. Oh, it sounds like something I'd start talking about after a couple more Caesars. <laughs> <laughs> So Jeez. they, they kind of wrote that off, but he did have to be taken out of the radio station later that day due to extreme exhaustion and had to spend a night in the hospital. That's what happens it's, when you stay up for five days. Yeah. It's crazy that they used to have those like marathon dances and everything and make people literally like almost die of exhaustion. Dance till you drop. Yeah. <laughs> we learned our lesson. Thank goodness. Yeah. No more of those. Thank you. Jeez. So that was that was the Big Bopper's premonition. Richie Valens had recurring nightmares of crashing in a small plane and most of the time refused to fly. Wow. Which I was like, okay, you know, that's a normal fear, small planes. But the r reason he has this fear is because when he was little, he literally watched a plane explode in the sky on the way to his grandfather's funeral. Oh my God. Didn't well, that'll do it. Marge Simpson. <laughs> in a, a Simpsons episode, and then she couldn't fly, something like that. I don't know, yeah. but it's probably Simpsons fans. That. Get at me. Yeah. Jeez. So if that they're wasn't enough, to a funeral. Yeah, on the they're on the way to the funeral. They watch it explode, and if that wasn't bad enough, like traumatizing enough, his his family was like, "Oh, let's go see where it crashed." Because why would you do that? <laughs> it's Texas. <laughs> Uh, and so they drive to find that it crashed on his school playground. Jeez. Where three kids died and 90 were injured. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow, that's so crazy. So he, and would he have been there, I guess, if he weren't at the funeral? Yes. So he became convinced he would have been one of the kids that died if he had been there and not at his grandfather's funeral. Holy crap. Okay, well, that is really spooky. Uh, so that's how 
he thought he was going to die. I just remembered that the reason why Marge Simpson was afraid of flying is because she got on a flight as a young girl and her father was working as a flight attendant. And he was like, don't look at me. <laughs> oh, that's right. I do remember this now. Which is now that I think about it is quite sexist. and Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> did not age well, but at least it wasn't that it crashed on the way to her grandfather's funeral. Right. <sighs> and then there's Buddy who he eventually married someone named Maria. I forget her last name because of my other notes. Sorry, Maria. And when he proposed to Maria, he did it super fast, like within three months of meeting her. A, it was the 50s, so that's just what they did. But (laughs) um, uh, when he asked her to marry him, she was like, you know, maybe we should get to know each other a little better. And he said, I don't have the time to get to know you. We have to get married now. Wow. And I'm like, that's freaky considering they were they were only married like three or four years when he died so it wasn't wrong um and then the night or two before he left for this tour she begged him not to go because she had a premonition that he was not going to come back wow he was right jeez that is the curse of buddy holly and how all three of them knew they were going to die on this tour I think his mom, am I remembering that right? Or someone had a premonition of him dead in the snow? I left that up. That was also Richie Valens. His mom had a premonition that he was going to die in the snow, which is also how he died. Wow. That's crazy. There's this old Hollywood actress who's like my favorite. Uh, Her name is Carol Lombard, and she died in a plane crash as well. And she was with her mother who like begged her not to go on the plane because they had actually gone to like a psychic like a month or so before. And the psychic was like, stay away from planes. Like that's bad. And like her mother begged and begged. And then they ended up on the plane because she, you know, the psychic told us. And then yeah, it crashed and just another wild premonition. I wonder how, often planes crashed back then like yeah i guess statistically it was greater than it is now but it still seems like the odds are pretty well if they were taking off in snowstorms i don't think their training was all that great it's true it's true (laughs) and single engine planes you just want to steer clear of them always yeah go for the double 100 percent. yeah damn that was a great one yeah that was wild I learned I something wonder, from everybody. I wonder if Waylon Jennings, I guess he never had a premonition, so that's why he wasn't on the plane. Yeah, probably. Oh, that's crazy. That would affect me for sure. Everyone else on the tour died, and then you're the lucky one. Mm-hmm. And you think you're the unlucky one because like, you didn't get the plane ride? Ooh, I wonder if that's in any of his songs. Like He wrote that into some... I'm, yeah. Pins <laughs> <laughs> for a future episode. <laughs> damn that was good yeah and really they all became cool. muses too like the day the music died yeah awesome well good job everybody yeah this is so much fun i'm yeah. so glad i mean because we have loved you guys since like when we were like researching we're like dude there's these awesome chicks out in toronto that are just like talking about muses and this and you know from like a perspective of a lot of women from it so we're just super stoked to be doing this with you guys yeah so same great. yeah it's so great to connect with other women in podcasting and women in rock and roll and 
uh, like you said, I have so many other people I can think of that I've wanted to cover on the podcast, but they're just, just, there's not enough information to fill out. And this is the perfect format for that. And we should definitely do this again sometime. Yeah. Oh, we're down. Yeah. We're totally down. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys. All right. And I guess where can our listeners go to find you? You can find us on, pull up the outro notes, Leah. (laughs) (laughs) Even after a year, I can't do this from memory. Okay. So thank you for listening. Um, (laughs) We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Um, You also can follow us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She'll Rock You Podcast or on Twitter at She'll Rock letter U dot pod. Did I say dot? At She Will Rock You, the letter U. I may be on my third glass of wine, so. <laughs> well, she will rock you notes, like, uh, Yeah. Else. Oh, <laughs> put fun. it all down there. <laughs> and then if you want to follow either of us individually, probably Leah, because I only post when I have some worthy posting. It's usually a dog of some sort. Um, but if you want, I'm at Beth Ann Tarpley, and she's at Leah Elizabeth dot J. Perfect. And where can our listeners find you? Yeah, we like to say wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, anywhere where you get your podcasts. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's just like Muse's podcast on Instagram. You can subscribe to our newsletter and check out our website, musespod.com. Yeah, we've been adding like blog posts and things like that. So we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash muses podcast, because we release regular episodes bi-weekly. And then on the alternate weeks, we release videos and uh, half hour to hour episodes. And they're still pretty like well-researched and they're a lot of fun. And we get to open up a little bit more about our own lives because in the regular episodes, we get right to the right to the story usually of the other person. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you guys again so much for this. 